You're listening to the conservative mic. So listen to this. Listen to this. Okay, listen. We have some bad hombres here. Welcome to the Conservative Mike Podcast. Today we're going to look at episode one of a series I entitled The Creation of the World. We'll be in the first book of Genesis, actually just Genesis 1-1, and I want to read that to you right now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, the book of Genesis could be considered the most important book, I believe, in the world. It's the foundation upon which all the other 65 books of God's Word have been based. After Jesus resurrected, he gave a Bible study to his disciples on the way to Emmaus. And he began at Genesis. Listen to Luke 24, 27. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Beginning at Moses. God, Jesus, began at Genesis. The New Testament contains at least 200 direct quotes or clear allusions to events described here in Genesis, more than any other book of the Bible. I mean, Genesis is the book of origins. It's actually a Hebrew word, toledoth, and it means beginning or generation, the book of beginnings, the book of origins, the book book of generations. And the title actually comes from the Greek translation. So, and that the same phrase is repeated 11 times in Genesis. These are the generations of, this the account of, this is the history of. Here is the book of beginnings. Genesis tells us the beginnings of almost everything except God. It says here, in the beginning, God. Genesis tells us the beginning of the universe, of life, of man, of the seven-day week, of marriage and family life and sin, sacrifice, redemption, and death. Genesis tells us the beginning of nations and the beginning of government and cities, of music, literature, art, and agriculture, of languages, culture, work, yes, and even murder. All the great doctrines of Christianity are first encountered in Genesis. And I believe the greatest doctrine of all is the special creation of all things by the eternal, self-existent God. This is the very first chapter of Genesis, and all of it is contained there. This is the foundation of foundations. Genesis chapter 1 stands in opposition to every flippant and sundry human philosophy. You could go back and read Romans 1, read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and they say it very clearly. Because we do not stand on shifting sand, we stand on the bedrock of God's Word. Genesis stands in opposition to humanism, to abortion, to socialism, to communism, to evolution, to euthanasia, environmentalism, and homosexuality. All of these run counter to the Word of God. And the greatest attack on the Bible have been directed at the integrity and the authority of Genesis, all ultimately based on evolution or evolutionism. And it's assuming that this complex universe and that somehow can be explained apart from the infinite creative power of God. 
the end of all of all of it is that there is no God. That is the very end of evolution. We'll be speaking a lot about that in the next couple of episodes. That's why Psalms 14, verse 1 through 3 says very clearly that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. He says here, in the beginning, God. Now, that's a Hebrew word, God, Elohim. It means the mighty one, the strong one, the eternal one who is omnipotent. El, God, Im, is it ending in Hebrew, the little Im is ending in Hebrew language, and, and it signifies plurality. So we're already seeing the triune nature of God. The Trinity is first alluded to here. If you believe Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you'll have no difficulty believing the rest of the Bible. Because there's never any attempt to really prove God. There's no argument, no debate, no wrangling, no other explanation to reveal God. It says that simply that He is. In the beginning, God. And Genesis 1.1 stands in opposition to atheism. That belief that no deity existed. We're just simply here. There were animals. No one is born an atheist, I believe. And very few die an atheist. Because an atheist sets his mind at war with his heart. That there is no God. And the mind overrides what a person knows in the very depths of his heart. That there is something bigger than he is. And I believe that every man, woman, child born in this world has a 5 watt light bulb that blinks. Very low dim light bulb inside of them that says there's something bigger than they are. Bigger than they are. Man from the beginning has recognized there is something outside of who he is. A designer. We know that tribes are worshiping some other gods. Some tribe that's been locked away for a hundred years out there in the jungle is worshiping something, whether it's the sun or the, or the water, you know, or trees or whatever it is, nature of some kind. But I think an atheist is kind of their way to escape sin and to escape his or her responsibility to a higher power or to God. But man from the beginning has recognized that there's a designer Someone, something bigger and higher than they are. I mean, if you look around at the world, God's handiwork. I mean, Romans very clearly says that creation reveals God. Look at God's handiwork. Look what surrounds us, the stars, the space, the human body, the animals, the earth, the oceans. Yes, and even the human mind. There is something bigger than we are. There is a designer. No matter what you call him or her, there is a designer. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, let's look at the word created here in Genesis 1.1. It's a Hebrew word, bara, B-A-R-A, and it's, spelled, it's pronounced ba and ra, bara. It means to create, to bring into existence, to bring into existence that which did not exist. In Latin, they call it ex nihilo, out of nothing. The Bible is very clear that God spoke matter into existence. We'll get into this later on as we look at the laws of thermodynamics. God spoke matter into existence. No ancient paganism or modern or natural modernism even mentions the absolute origin of the universe. They all begin with space, time, and matter. 
that it just kind of appeared. Nobody knows how it appeared. It just kind of appeared. That all of this existed in some primeval state of chaos that somehow in this chaotic mess evolved into some kind of ordered universe. Genesis 1.1, or anything like it, is not found in any religion or false philosophy. I mean, here, let me go to uh, Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse uh, 16 and 17. Got it marked here in my Bible. It says this very clearly. It says here, For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist or hold together. The existence of a creator and the necessity of special creation is actually confirmed by science. I mean, let's look at the first law, and I want to look at the law of causality. The law of causality, which says this, No effect can be greater than its cause. No effect can be greater than its cause. So, I'll give you an example. I throw a ball. Okay? The effect is the ball leaving my hands, going out. But the cause is me. I am greater than that ball. I picked it up. I threw it. No effect can be greater than its cause. And this is basic in all scientific investigation. The universe contains an array of intelligent and complex effects. So where is the cause? And you know, this includes the living systems and the conscious personalities. And there is more proof there is more proof that an intelligent, complex, living, conscious person is its cause. This is proof that there is a designer, an intelligent design to the universe, that it didn't just happen. Again, no one can really explain how that matter came. How this? If we had a big bang, what was it that, that was banging, right? <laughs> it was the matter. But how did the matter get here? There's a special designer. The second law is the law of thermodynamics. And this is the most universal and best proved. And they apply to every system and it applies to every process of any kind. Now, the first law of thermodynamics is this. No matter slash energy is now being created or destroyed. Now listen to this. No matter or energy is now being created or destroyed. There's an implication here that it had a beginning. But no matter, whatever matter energy is there now, it did have a beginning. Second law, all existing matter slash energy is proceeding irreversibly toward the cessation of all processes. That means that things are moving from order to chaos. And I hate to break your bubble or bust your bubble, the world is dying. Things are moving from order to chaos. Now, let me explain the second law. And it, it speaks of uh, that time had a beginning, that the universe must have been created. And the first law precludes the possibility of itself creation, that it just happened, that matter just suddenly appeared. The universe had a beginning. Both of these laws say that the universe had a beginning, 
and went from no matter and energy to matter and energy. And evolution cannot explain this. That's why the Bible very clearly says, in the beginning, God. God created the matter and the energy. It didn't just suddenly appear. I guess in some ways it might take more faith to believe in evolution that things just suddenly appear than it does to believe that God simply created the world. Now, let's look at this word. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens. It's a Hebrew word, shamayim. Shamayim means to be lofty. It means uh, it speaks of space, of atmosphere, and it actually speaks of outer space. Now, I want you to think about a galaxy. Think about the Milky Way. Think about how big our universe is. A typical galaxy contains billions of individual stars. Our galaxy alone, the Milky Way, contains 200 billion stars. Our galaxy is shaped like a giant spiral and it rotates in space with arms reaching out like a pinwheel. Our sun is one star on one arm of the pinwheel and it would take 250 million years for the pinwheel to make one full rotation. Hope you're getting getting the, the, the gist of what I'm saying. But this is only our galaxy. There are many other galaxies with many other shapes, including spirals and spherical clusters and what we call flat pancakes. The average distance between one galaxy and another is 9,900,000 light years. That is the average between one galaxy and another. And we are just one, one galaxy of all the many, many millions of galaxies. Our closest galaxy is the Andromeda galaxy. And that Andromeda galaxy is about 2,537,000 light years from the Earth. Wow. You know, for every patch of sky... The size of the moon, you know, that's the, that's about the size of the moon. You could look very deep and you could see, if you could, you if you could see inside of that little patch of the sky about the size of the moon, you could see a million galaxies. That's why God did all this himself. What does it say in Isaiah 48, 13? Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. There in Isaiah 40, 12, it says this, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? Our God is bigger and greater than all his creation. Now, the next word I want to look at was the word earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a Hebrew word, eretz, and it means to be firm. To be, to, to, it means ground, field, land, world, country, or the material of planets. And in Genesis 1.1, in the whole chapter, you're going to see a summary of the six days of creation. And personally, my opinion, I agree with thousands of scientists, creation scientists, that the earth is much younger than we're led to believe. I think the earth could be around 10,000 years old, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little less. And the whole key is paleontology, looking at the fossil record, which we will do in another episode. Now, it does not reveal an imaginary pre-Adamic cataclysm or what we call a gap theory, all right? 
You know, some try to accommodate the gap theory to, to the evolutionist, right? And say, oh, there must have been thousands of years that when the, when the, the word day is mentioned in the Bible, that it means could mean a thousand, ten thousand, one million years. <clears throat> and frankly, that's ex not exact. That's not what the Hebrew word means. Yom means 24 hours. When it says that God created this on this day and that day, six days, those that simply means, again, we'll get that later, Yom means 24 hours. Now, Genesis 1-1 also stands in opposition to something else. Not only atheism, but it stands in opposition to pantheism. Pantheism equates God with the forces of nature and the laws of the universe. We see that in the Star Wars movie. May the force be with you. That God is in everything. That God is in all of nature. You know, like the tree huggers. Star Wars. May the force be with you. Now, pantheism takes two forms. One is this. God is a tree. God is a rock. God is a mountain. God is in everything. And there's another form of pantheism that goes like this. There is good in all religions. All roads lead to the same place. That we're all going to heaven. Some of us, because we're not that good of a people, we might be a little longer till we get there. But we're all getting there. And if we are good and treat people right, we're on the yellow brick road. But there's one missing element in all of that. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said very clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father unless he comes through me. He didn't say, I'm a way. He said, I'm the way. You can run Confucianism without Confucius. You can run Buddhism without Buddha. You can run Islam without Muhammad. And you can run Taoism without Lao Tzu. And you can run Mormonism without Joseph Smith. But you can't run Christianity without Jesus Christ. Before the world, there was an eternal purpose. God's purpose. And God's purpose was to resolve or sum up all things in Jesus Christ, according to Colossians chapter 1. Eternal life was promised before time began. His mission was established before time began. Titus 1-2 says, in hope of eternal life in which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. We were chosen before time began, Ephesians 1.4. There's a great purpose to this world. And because God created the world and spoke the world into existence, that means that life has meaning and has purpose. All right, episode one. Stay tuned soon for episode two.